Welcome to Storytime with Paul Dore. I can hear your voice over the hum. A short adrenaline shot of a podcast straight to the mind, heart, or sometimes the funny bone, wherever that is located. Today's episode, that was stupid. Usually the podcast delivers you a story on each episode. But the next few episodes will be a bit different and include some interviews around the topic of mental health. Season 4 of Storytime revolves around the release of my second novel, Dreams of Being a Kiwi. The story is about a person with mental health issues who travels across the world to find some peace. Previous episodes of this season include some audio excerpts from the novel. To purchase your paperback or ebook copy of Dreams of Being a Kiwi, visit pauldor.com for more information. We are getting away from the stigma of mental health being something that you can get over and understanding that there are actual biological elements to it. For years, when I would fall into a depression, I'd feel shame and anger towards myself because I just figured I should be able to talk myself out of it. It took a lot of time, but I finally understood that some days are worse than other days, that I had control over certain things and not others. It is work to become aware of my thoughts, how I engage and perceive the world, and how this conflicts with how other people might perceive me. Change is incremental. It takes time to uncross certain wires that have become malignant to the point where I don't even know how they got that way. I've been studying a lot about core values and how they are formed over time, whether through childhood experiences or traumatic situations, and how surface-level thoughts or perceptions or interpretations are connected to these core values. It is difficult to let go or change these core values. It takes time and vigilance, but it is possible. I'll give you a simple example. A couple of months ago, I became aware of constantly referring to myself as stupid. I'd be having a conversation with someone and at some point say, ah, that was stupid. I wasn't even aware that I was doing this. After some time, I was still doing this, but started saying, ah, that was stupid. Wait, no, it wasn't. After some more time, I had stopped referring to myself as stupid, although I still catch myself doing this from time to time. I had to train myself to change. For 40 years I was calling myself stupid. It will take some time to rework these wires. But it is possible. Which brings me to the main conversation of this episode with Amanda Wintink. Mandy is a neuroscientist and founder of the Center for Applied Neuroscience, where they help with personal and professional development guided by neuroscience, psychology, and mindfulness. I've known Mandy for years now and appreciate her unique approach and perspective. For this conversation, we talked about mental health through the lens of neuroscience. Visit knowyourbrain.ca for information about the Center for Applied Neuroscience and listen to Mandy's Mandyland podcast, Conversations That Deserve Attention. So I was just, you know, I explained to you off mic that I was interested to 
just kind of have conversations with people uh, around mental health and, and, you know, just kind of as almost getting sort of information in there and, and using the, the stuff that I've been looking into and, and researching and also just I'm curious and I'd like to know sort of more. So I guess just this is a very broad and general question, so answer however you want, but um, I, I'm just I'm also I'm really curious about the relationship between that there is or that exists between, you know, from the neurological perspective and, you know, mental health and what's sort of like going on there. Yeah. I mean, if you want to maybe do say a little bit about your background so you right. people know context of, you know, your expertise. Well, so uh, I guess, I mean, my background is, there's a lot there, but um, mm -hmm. I'll start with what I was doing in my PhD because when I was doing my PhD in neuroscience and psychology, I was studying, um, essentially mental health um, in laboratory animal models. So we, we were a lab that was looking at anxiety and depression. So my research specifically um, was more involved in the anxiety side, but I was also involved in, like some of my side projects involved depression. So we kind of thought of them as two separate things, but the more that I was studying it, and the more that I would see things happening in the models that I was using, the more it seemed clear to me that they were sort of similar um, mental health conditions, but at different ends of it, and that mm. one might precipitate the other one. And um, specifically the way I, I sort of view anxiety and depression is that um, anxiety is very much related to like stress mm. um, and, the, and the fear system. So. Um, there's a lot of um, repeated stressors that can happen in our lives and that also seems to predict depression and it also seems like um, the more stressful experiences that you have um, that can sort of shut the system down mm. which feels a lot like a state of depression right. um, anyway so my we can talk more about that if you're interested but generally you know I, I'm feel very um, interested in anxiety and depression, particularly from the research perspective that I took, but also because it's just such a common experience for mm. people. And I do mean clinical, but also subclinical experiences of anxiety and depression. So mm -hmm. myself and also my work as a life coach, I, I talk about these issues with a lot of people in my life coaching too. Yeah, and I, I like in terms of like anxiety and depression, especially as you know, wherever those are rooted in, if it's their memories are formed in childhood or experiences or something like that. But I was interested about how we talked about those pathways before of how, or, and, and patterns, I guess, yeah. that are formed, that are, like, to me, it was a revelation when you talked, when you told me about that, that it's like, oh no, there's actually a biological thing kind of happen, happening when you're experiencing these feelings mm -hmm. like anxiety and, and depression. Yeah, yeah, so that's a good point. I guess to answer your first questions, like what is the relationship between mm. those? Um, like so be because of my knowledge in neuroscience and all the work that I've done, it's so obvious to me that, you know, there, that there's such a strong relationship. Like mm. anxiety and depression have a biological base. Like it is, it's not question. Like there is a biological base to that. And so when I see people 
Um, so the challenge becomes for other people not being able to see that there's a relationship. So for you, for example, you know, you've heard of, you had heard of anxiety and depression, uh, didn't really know what it actually meant or what the, what those feelings were. And a lot of people are walking around feeling that same thing. And, and so then I think that contributes to the stigma yeah. because people think that it's just this thing in your, in your head, which doesn't even mean to them a thing in your brain. Like mm. they just think, oh, it's something, it's like a character flaw. Right. And you know, that's so, it's so interesting because I've been going through a, uh, CBT course and it's, t they're talking all about that exact thing of, uh, you, you, you don't have to necessarily just because it's all like how we interpret things mm -hmm. and, uh, or a situation or when somebody says something to us and part of a big thing that I'm getting taking away is it's like, Oh, you don't just have to accept that that's the way something makes you feel. Yeah. Is that you can actually, th that it is something, it is a pattern that's, that has been sort of formed. Yeah. And so the, the way patterns form is it's learning. So yeah. like our brain, you know, we talk a lot about neuroplasticity. That's mm. what, you know, it's kind of a popular uh, concept within neuroscience, even in the popular press. But neuroplasticity is just the brain changing. And, and the, how the brain changes is that it's learning. Mm -hmm. So it's very adaptive. So things are happening to us all the time. We experience a lot of learning when we're kids and our brain is going through like huge changes. But that learning continues throughout our lifetime. Yeah. Uh, it changes form and it's you know maybe not as much, but uh, we're still learning all the time. So, so we're learning things. We're learning to associate things. We're learning um, that you know, when I make this reaction, I get this reaction from my parents. Mm. You know, I, you know, I think about my three-year-old, and you know, he learns that when he cries, I he gets my attention. You know, mm -hmm. so then crying becomes something; it becomes a pattern. Mm -hmm. You know, or if it's really bad, it's like screaming, having a temper tantrum gets me that chocolate bar that I wanted, right? Yeah. So these are the things that we learn, and then that's how those patterns grow inside of us, and then the way we continue those patterns is because the brain is already adapted. So it's made yeah. the changes and it makes those patterns easier in the future. Mm -hmm. Those are the sort of like the grooves that we have. They like, uh, it's, yeah, it's easy. You know, and yeah, I guess it works both ways is that if as a child you're saying, you realize, oh, if I want this thing, I can do this and I'll kind of get it. Or it doesn't have to be conscious either. Right. It just it's the brain's doing this. It's acquiring all this. And, and I like you're saying. I'm I'm, a, I'm sort of thinking like, is it also also a, a, you're learning how to communicate? Yep. In a way. I Absolutely. Guess. Especially yep. as a child, if you can't talk yet or you, you can't just ask for something, you have to kind of figure out how to do this. I wonder, does this work both ways? Then, like, say as you grow up, that it can work in a negative way, mm -hmm. where I just think like for myself and my own personal experience there's times when i'm feeling depression and you feel like a different person almost. Mm -hmm. that you are you're you can even have a thought like oh i'm not feeling bad i need to pull myself out of this but you just it, it it's difficult to understand how like because you just you're like well but i'm just in encased in this yeah and so then you get out of it and you just are like, what, how, how was I even thinking those things or, yeah. or that? So I don't know if, 
if um, I guess those things they can change like you're talking about neuroplasticity and stuff they definitely change I mean they can also change like change is happening all the time so sometimes they're like deep-rooted changes that are things that we've learned from the past or that we're learning but sometimes even within like a day things can change because you know our, our hormones are always like our hormones are, are part of the neurochemistry that help the brain the neuros, the neurons communicate with each other so so we've got the you know stress hormones that are associated with both depression and anxiety those start changing so if we have a really um, intense stressful experience maybe it's lasted a whole day then you know the stress hormones are pumping out and then our body's exhausted because like that system's not designed to be on full throttle for like 24 hours it's mm. like a quick get me out of action or get me out of the threat and move but if we experience that for 24 hours then we crash the next day like our body has to get rid of those hormones it's too too much is that sort of part of why when because when i was like in a, a car accident myself i was reading all about sort of trauma and PTSD kind of thing almost that that um, those like the say the traumatic memories are being I think it was within hours um, uh, of being sort of solidified in your in your brain and I is it part of like that you're you have that adrenaline yep. initially and then your defense is kind of almost weaken I guess yeah that and then those memories that's like all right we can get in there and you know well the person is sort of not able to fight them off almost yep. I guess in a well way. I mean in a stressful situation we actually do like some of the stress hormones are actually helpful in forming memories just generally so mm -hmm. cortisol for example facilitates memory development um, so when you're in a stressful experience there's a part of your brain that wants to remember this because mm. in a in a normal situation you learn, okay, I'm a zebra and that tiger over there lurking attacks right. me. I need to remember to avoid that space and that tiger. But the zebra runs away and it's gone. It doesn't think about it again. Whereas we can start to think about things and then we get triggers like, oh, that striped thing over there, that looks like a tiger. Is that a tiger? Mm. Um, and so we sort of get these triggers, which is what happens in PTSD. Mm. So it's like they're not conscious triggers. Like there's stuff that's happening and you just all of a sudden. You, you don't know why. You're yeah, even, you're just having it again. Because I've read about that kind of thing where even sometimes, say you go into a business meeting or something and you meet somebody and you're just like, I just don't like that yeah. guy. And it's like maybe it's somebody that bullied you when you were a kid and they resemble them and so like it's these weird unconscious almost things yep. that you don't realize are going on on a you know day-to-day -day basis because this guy could be the nicest guy in the world yep and it's all it's all like you know the associations. I say associations and what I mean by that is like um, classical conditioning like Pavlov's um, dog and those things are happening <laughs> at every level of us and so you know we're, maybe it wasn't that guy maybe it was like the red tie sure that he wore and it was associated with like a red tie of you know a someone who hit you or something or that you got into an accident with like you got out of your accident and the person wearing was wearing a red tie and then you see a red tie and all of a sudden You're you know back. but you don't remember these things like at a conscious level the brain but the brain processes all of this it takes all this information in and it it's trying its best yeah. to 
to help save us for the future, but sometimes it, it sort of over um, exaggerates. Uh, it sort of like almost works against, you're working against yourself. Almost. Yeah, and because we're also not like the zebra that runs away, we sit there and say, oh, I almost died. Mm. What, if, what if I died? What would be, like, I almost died. I didn't say bye to this person. I'm, you know, there's all these thoughts that are associated with this, I almost died. Mm. The zebra runs away. Mm -hmm. Doesn't think about his life and his life purpose. <laughs> Great, yeah. I, you know, so I was curious, you talked earlier about that you studied a lot of this stuff, like in, in relation to anxiety and depression and things like that. What was, where did your interest in this come from? Did you have like a personal interest in this or? You know, I didn't at the time, but um, yeah, I didn't. I was interested in something else kind of connected and I ended up in this lab where we were studying anxiety and depression. But while I was there, I had a really um, intense bout of anxiety and I ended mm. up going on medication. So this was, so I, got into, I was in Halifax doing my PhD in 2000, and then by January of 2000, so I got there in September, by January 2000 I went on anxiety medication. And I was only on it for five months, but um, at the time I started realizing that I did have a history of anxiety. And I didn't know that I did, because I didn't live in anyone else's body. So I didn't know that feeling really, really anxious, um, feeling jittery, feeling your heart beat really loudly. Like I didn't know that other people didn't experience this hmm. until I went on medication and everything just went calm. And I was like, wow. Oh, this is, and it's, and realizing it's uh, it, like, it, it's not normal. Not yeah. normal is a bad word, but you know what I mean? Like it's almost got normalized in your head yeah. or in your body. Yeah. That that's what, oh, I just assume everybody else is, is experiencing the same things as me. Yeah. Hmm. So, so then I started becoming really interested in it. Um, I mean, it's always been a, not just about me. It's not my own personal story. That is also interesting. But this, even that other, like, what is it like for other people? And, you know, and what are some of the causes of it? Because when I think back to my anxiety, my really bad episode, um, you know, I had, there's lots of factors that affect it. Like, I'd been on the birth control pill for 10 years. I had just gone off of it. So my hormones were totally out of whack. I then started studying the effects of estrogen and on anxiety and depression. So mm. estrogen can increase anxiety. Um, so all of that was, my hormones were out of whack. I was also experiencing extreme stress because my grandmother was dying of cancer. I was breaking up with a boyfriend that I had for 12 years. Like there's like all oh, these so things. So all these things kind of almost yeah. all came around the, the And I wasn't time. sleeping because yeah. I was doing too much work. I was drinking coffee, started drinking coffee for the first time coffee, which a lot of people don't know, the the sensations of being over caffeinated, that's what being anxious feels like. Right. And, yeah. you know, like uh, my mom, for example, stopped drinking coffee. Um, she doesn't have much of a background in this. So she didn't realize that like that that was making her feel anxious just because she was drinking coffee. Hmm. Part of it, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. but because it's this it's a it's a chemical that interacts with our brain and it interacts with our stress system. So, mm -hmm. and it, you know, makes our heart beat faster and all that stuff. So, you know, there's a lot of um, these examples of how the brain and our mental health are totally connected. Sometimes we induce it through the changes in the hormones and the 
drugs that we ingest, whether they're caffeine or other kind of drugs, yeah. you know, or sometimes it's because of the things that we see out in the environment and past learning. And, and I guess all of then, like these things that you were talking about when, you know, one of those things would be stre creating stress onto itself, but then once you start putting these things on top of each other, they, I assume they also start, things yep. start, uh, anxieties from one thing start feeding into another. I guess it's almost like sometimes how, you know, some days or sometimes you're walking down the street and or you're I'm, I'm driving and I'm like hitting every traffic light and I'm just like ah, that's just the way it is but on another day I could be like ah I'm just this is not my day like it's yeah. weird how you can just interpret things and you know it's not that I'm getting stopped at every light. It's like, oh, there's something else that's being piled on top of this. Yeah, it's, I, I use the word load. Like we have mm -hmm. to sort of take a check of what our load is. Right. Um, I mean, this is sort of the essence of like balance, life balance and stuff and wellness that a lot of life coaches work with people on because we do, we load too much on and sometimes it's coming at us. So we've got these deadlines, right? Mm -hmm. That's gonna increase our load. Um, yeah, traffic, just traffic in general. It doesn't even have to be hitting a light, but you know what it's like driving through Toronto sometimes? That can be a load. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have like, say you have five of these that are really, really heavy loads, you can't deal with something. Yeah. You get one extra thing, a pin that drops on top of you and, and everything crumbles. Yeah. Uh, yeah, fascinating. Um, it's so, uh, it's because it's, there, there seems to be so much to talk about and to study and to think about in these areas and these all these connections with mental health and you know the biological aspect and all of this but there seems to be so much that we still don't really we're still trying to figure out yeah in a way. yeah for sure um, but so you have like a podcast and you have your life coaching like maybe if you want to just we'll wrap up uh, tell people a little bit about where they can find more information about the kind of stuff you do yeah well my podcast, Mandyland, um, which is at mandyland.ca, is actually, we've got um, a few people, one person in particular, Dawn, who talks very openly about her experiences with anxiety and depression. And, I mean, she's very articulate. She also has a background in psychology, and mm. she has years of therapy. So she can really talk about these things from at a, a high level, but also like a personal experience level. So I love talking to her about uh, her experiences and helping and letting her share it with other people. So, you know, if, if nothing else, those those episodes are probably worthwhile to anyone listening to this for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I like listening to people's stories. So that's what the Mandyland podcast is about. And um, and then life coaching is something that, you know, there's lots of people who have, you know, there's there's very severe clinical depression, anxiety, and th those people will benefit likely from seeing a therapist. Uh, a, psychologist or you know psychiatrist if they need to but there's also sort of these subclinical experiences of anxiety and depression and there's a lot that a life coach can help with for that just like getting people to recognize patterns or develop some more self-awareness over it and yeah and just come up with like some strategies like reducing your load you mm -hmm. know how can I manage my life a little bit better to reduce some of the triggers associated with my experiences so yeah so that's what I do also is life coach and uh, train others to become life coaches.
Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on uh, with me to. I, we've been on. I, you've been on my podcast before. I've been on yours. You know. Hopefully, we'll talk Back again soon. Yes. <laughs> thank you. That's great. Subscribe to Storytime with Paul Doerr and leave a comment on iTunes. Visit pauldoerr.com to read my blog, listen to the podcast archive, watch videos, and keep up to date on live events. The theme music is by singer-songwriter Arlene Pakulin. Check her out at arlenepakulin.com. Thank you for listening. Time.